0: Hello, STEM Nation, Jeff here, and welcome to episode number 92 of STEM on Fire, where we interview practicing professionals in the area of science, technology, engineering, and math to help guide students interested in STEM careers. If you like what you hear, please share it with a friend. Now let's get fired up today with our guest, Michael, and I hope our chat will help ignite your passion towards a STEM career. Michael earned a PhD in chemical engineering from the University of Texas at Austin and is a professor at NC State or North Carolina State. And looking at his LinkedIn profile, I'm kind of excited to have him on here because he's got expertise in nanofabrication, liquid metal, and stretchable electronics, which is things I know nothing about. So welcome to the show, Michael. Fill in any gaps and share a bit of your personal life. All
1: right. Well, thank you for having me and really appreciate you doing this, Jeff. And I appreciate those of you that are out there listening. So I actually grew up here in Raleigh, North Carolina, which is the location of NC State University. It's the capital of the state. And I, I went to high school here. When I was in high school, I really enjoyed science and math, which had a big influence on the ultimate career path that I took. But I had other interests while I was in high school. I've always been interested in history and uh, also played sports. I played soccer in high school and a few other sports. And it's also into music. I played guitar in a band and um, was really just involved with a whole bunch of different things, but ultimately, in terms of my careers, it was the science and math that that I was best at and I was really excited about. But I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do. Uh, I knew that I enjoyed helping other people in terms of like kind of tutoring them and teaching them on their homework um, and and teaching them concepts from class. So um, you know, it was just something that I was I was leaning towards to ultimately become a teacher or a professor. Uh, but while I was in high school, I had the opportunity to take a tour of a clean room, which is like the facilities that places like Intel use to make computer chips. And I was really excited to learn that they use chemical processes to make computer chips. You know, people usually think computer chips are electronics, uh, but you know, in, in terms of actually making the chips, it's all done by chemical processing. So that had a big, big influence on me. And so when I went off to college, I decided to major in chemical engineering. Partly because of that experience, and also just because I liked math and science. but I did have other interests, and it wasn't um, wasn't the only thing that I considered. but in the end it, it seemed to be the right decision. Um, after I graduated from college with a chemical engineering degree, I knew that I wanted to go to graduate school but and and ultimately become a professor. But I felt like the best professors and teachers that I had along the way had some sort of you know practical work experience. so, I went off to work at Merck, which, which is a pharmaceutical company. It's basically making drugs to help make people's lives better. And I worked there for a couple of years and then went to grad school, as you mentioned, at the University of Texas, where I also study chemical engineering. And uh, I'll tell you maybe in a little bit here about the, the research I did. And then I did a postdoc, which is sort of just additional, uh, getting additional experience with research. Uh, and I did that at Harvard in Boston. And then in 2008, I started at NC State, and I've been here since then. It's been uh, been a really great great
0: time. All right, Michael. Thanks for that great overview and, and insights. And so it sounds like you had the the vision of going for chemical engineering all the way back in high school. And so if you if you think about the audience as being juniors, seniors in high school, and and looking at all the different types of of STEM degrees out there, and I'm going to say that there's You know, in in the chemistry realm, you know, some students really enjoy chemistry. So they're like, oh, I'll go for and be a chemist. And then there's also the option to be a chemical engineer. Can you help STEM Nation understand kind of what the differences between those two are?
1: I can try. Um, So a chemist, they're mostly involved with coming up with reactions, for example, or just understanding molecules at a very fundamental level. So it's making new materials, getting things to react. Um, and whereas a chemical engineer is more interested about, uh, say, processes. So I can give you just an example from my own life. So when I worked at, at Merck, which I mentioned, is a pharmaceutical company, the chemist would say, you know, would work with biologists and say, well, here's a, a molecule that we want to make. And they would draw it on the board. And they would figure out what reactions do we need to to use to make this, and they would kind of explore that, and and um, and ultimately come up with a process, and then they would hand it to us, which is you know the chemical engineers, and we would, uh, we would basically try to figure out how to do it at larger scales, so that we could we could make enough of this stuff, and we you know we had to know enough chemistry to be able to talk to them, but ultimately they came up with the the chemistry, the the chemical reactions, and we would be the ones that would make it on a larger scale. So, this is maybe not a perfect analogy, but it's a little bit like um, if you were a cook, maybe you know if you're a chef, you might come up with a recipe. But then, when it comes to cooking for a hundred people at a wedding or a thousand people or something like that, there's new challenges that are involved, and that's where the chemical engineers come in. Um, and I think maybe if I explain it that way, maybe it's it's relatable, but maybe it sounds a little bit mundane. I think, you know, what's what makes chemical engineers really an exciting field, and I'm biased, but I think it's one of the best, uh, um, is that we seek to understand the world all the way from the, the molecular level all the way to the macro scale. So, for example, we might understand how DNA works or, you know, a reaction occurs, and that's all the way down at the molecule level. But we also study things like, you know, how does blood pump through the body or how do you pump? Uh, oil from North Dakota down to Texas, you know, how does that work? And these are very, very large length scales. So, um, you know, kind of as a result of that understanding that makes us very unique relative to the other engineers and that enables us to do a whole lot of different things. So, you know, currently, well, I'd say historically, chemical engineers have been working in things like oil, right, you dig, you put a shovel in the ground and, and oil comes out. And how do you turn that into something valuable like gasoline or plastic or whatever? Uh, but, but uh, you know, more recently in the last 50 years or so, chemical engineers are doing so many different things from clean energy. Uh, I mentioned I worked on pharmaceuticals, um, nanotechnology, nanotech- which is another thing that I'm kind of working on, um, computer chips, you know, th- these kinds of things. And so because we can do so many different things and, you know, pretty much all these things are, are chemical processes, you know, there's kind of a reason chemical engineers tend to be the highest paid, and it's because they can do so many different things and their their skills are in demand. And that's not really the reason you should do it because of, of
0: the pay, but it is nice to, to be compensated for what you do. Yeah, absolutely. You got to make money doing what you enjoy. And that's, <laughs> that's <right. laughs> and, and that's the beauty of a lot of these STEM degrees is, is you can make really good money and enjoy enjoy what you do. Um, yeah. And you can make,
1: a, sorry to interrupt you, Jeff, but, but you can also make the world a better place. And I've found, at least with our students, Coming into our program, they're very interested in things like clean energy, uh, the environment, and these kinds of things. And you know, I hope that we are—you know—the the students when they leave here, they're equipped with the skills to tackle some of those really challenging problems.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I and I like your analogy that you used of the recipe, and that's what came to mind actually when you're describing that as a chemist would be the one creating the recipe. So it almost feels like if 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 you personally out in STEM Nation enjoy hanging out in the lab and just creating things and, and playing with things and seeing what you can develop. It sounds maybe like chemistry, maybe the way to go. And if you want to go in and, and productize it and make it at, at mass scale or at the macro level, then maybe chemical engineering. That might be dumbing it down a little bit too much, but that's kind of what came to my mind. No, I
1: think I think that's true. And that's that's kind of what I'm getting at when I say processes. You know, it's um in terms of picking the materials and the reactions and stuff, that's the chemists are sort of tinkering in the lab, but chemical engineers are trying to figure out how can we make this affordable and scalable and, and high throughput and those kinds of things. And like you said, it's a little bit oversimplification. And there's people that do all sorts of different things with chemical engineering degrees, but I think that at a very high level, that would sort of distinguish the two uh, different degrees. All
0: right, sounds good. And I, I want to get into... You know, on your LinkedIn page, liquid metal and stretchable electronics. Can you explain to STEM Nation what that means? Sure, I can try. So right now, at least, you know, in
1: the the academic literature, there's a lot of interest in trying to make electronics that have new form factors. So if you think about your current electronics that you might have in your home or even in your pocket, there's things like cell phones and laptops, and these tend to be made out of rigid materials like silicon, for example. And so, but you know, it's, if you wanna dream a little bit, you start thinking about the human body and our bodies are have uh, logic elements in the brain and memory in the brain. And we also have nerve networks for sensing. And these are all made from really soft and kind of squishy, stretchy materials. So that's a, a source of inspiration. And sort of the end goal is if you could make electronics have similar properties where they might, you know, maybe have mechanical properties like a rubber band or something like that. Then you can start putting them into into places where they currently can't go. You know, maybe it's in in clothing or some kind of device that could be worn on the body or even an implantable device. So it's 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 really driven by this idea of if you can impart new mechanical properties using materials that you can maybe make new
0: interesting type of devices. So and what so- would yeah, sorry, sorry for ahead. that. What, no, what, what would be an example of something like that? Well,
1: um, there's there are several examples. So um, there's some work that's being done uh, putting electronics directly on the skin. So you imagine something like a temporary tattoo that kids like to put on their skin. Um, so if you could build, make electronics uh, that could f- go against the skin but be comfortable so that you, you, know, you wouldn't even know that they were there. Um, you could maybe have something like that when you go into the hospital or, uh, you know, for monitoring your, your vitals. Um, taking that to kind of an extreme, there's people that are taking those concepts and, and looking at them for devices that could go inside the brain for uh, basically trying to understand uh, diseases or um, just trying to understand the way that the, the brain works by interfacing electronics with the brain. Uh, there's been some really interesting work on trying to help people that are paralyzed due to the uh, back injuries so if you can make uh, electronics that help if you know if you break your back uh, that typically means you can't walk the rest of your life because the signals from your brain aren't going to reach your legs but if you can make soft and stretchy electronics that could help span any like a break in your back uh, that could help transmit those signals Um, those are a few examples kind of on the more near-term horizon there's some really big companies like Samsung that have been looking at making foldable devices. So a device that like a cell phone that could go in your pocket, but you could un kind of unfurl it and use it as a tablet for a bigger display. Um that's sort of more near-term. Uh there's also been some interest in making devices like say that you can wear around your wrist, like a wristwatch, and then unfurl it and, and use it as a, you know, more like a tablet or something like that. Um there's for a long time now there's been interested also in trying to put these types of things into clothing because, well, everybody wears clothing. And so, you know, could you actually put electronics into the clothing? And there's there's some work. Actually, Google has a partnership with Levi's right now that they're trying to to do stuff like that. So um, it's 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 a little bit of a situation where you've um, you can kind of let your imagination run wild about all the different things that you might be able to do.
0: Yeah, and it sounds like you're working with many, many other different types of teams, like teams like the, in the medical field or in the, in the clothing field, or, you know, it, it sounds like chemical engineering spans the gamut of pretty much all technology.
1: Yeah, so exactly. So in in my particular case, the the research that we're doing is very interdisciplinary. Um, in fact, there's, there's times where it's less chemical engineering, probably more material science, and there's some nuance there, but uh, but but it's absolutely true that the the work that we're doing um, involves collaborations. In fact, just today I've had meetings with chemists. Uh, I had a meeting with an electrical engineer yesterday, um, and so we're whenever our expertise or knowledge falls short, we always reach out. And luckily, there's a lot of great people here at the university that we can work with. Um, but at at its heart, I think there's there's elements of chemical engineering in what we do in terms of um, the the material that we're working with, which I didn't even really mention is is this liquid metal. Um, and usually, when people think of liquid metal, they think of mercury. In this case, this is a it's based on gallium, which is just a material straight off of the the periodic table. And we're studying the way that it reacts with air and also other materials, and um, and using. Those reactions to basically control the shape of the material, because you know most liquids, like water, for example, they tend to form droplets. But we want to be able to to shape the metal and control the way it flows, so that we can make uh, things like wires and antennas and other electronic structures um, to make it a little bit more useful.
0: Yeah, you know that's really interesting. I I never really realized that that is where chemical engineering could go. You know, in my simple mind, I think of you know, petroleum. That's kind of where you think of chemical engineers, but not in all these different fields that you're working in. So, you know, STEM Nation. If, if this is of interest to you, and it's like, wow, that is really exciting. Um, it. I was chatting with Michael before we started the podcast, and you know, he's he's all about helping people out. And so, if you're in the North Carolina region, you know, at you know near NC State, you know go look him up on LinkedIn his link will be in the show notes and if you're not in NC state or North Carolina and Raleigh area you know reach out to Michael on LinkedIn and connect with him and and you know see what you can find out see if that is really of interest to you you know start building out that network and start engaging with other folks and then help hone where you want to go for your actual career
1: absolutely i'd be happy to if anybody's nearby i would love to show them around our lab and show them the university and uh, even if they're not nearby, I'd be happy to, to talk on the phone
0: or, or electronically via LinkedIn or just email. Awesome. All right, so you know, we're, we're getting in here about 15 or so minutes in, and we're gonna, we're gonna pivot over to, I want to get into getting through college. Uh, for okay. one, because Michael, right, you're a professor and you teach classes, so you see students coming through. You also had to get through the curriculum. And chemical engineering, at my understanding, it is not easy. <laughs> I think it's one of the hardest ones. So let's go back to when you're 18, heading off into college, and what are some things that you wish you knew back then? Well,
1: I I might take this in a slightly different direction than the spirit of your question, but I, you know, when I was in high school, I I'm not even sure why, but I think I've always had pretty good study habits. I was always uh, self motivated. So, my parents never had to tell me to do my homework or anything like that. I just just did it because that's just I guess how I was wired. So, I didn't really have have to make too many changes that way or there's not too much I would change in that regard. But in terms of once I got to college, I think i there was maybe a little bit of um fear or anxiety about like having to create a resume that was competitive and and you know that so that I'd be able to get into the graduate school that I wanted or get a job or whatever. And I think that's it's good to be mindful of that, but um in my case, I took on a lot of activities that I you know I enjoyed, but I wasn't all that passionate about. And so what I often tell my own students here at NC State is you know, just don't feel like you need to to have every bullet point on your resume uh, with a million different activities, um, but instead, try to find two or three things or one thing that you feel really passionate about. And and try to go a little bit deeper. In other words, I would try to find a, a smaller number of things and do them really well, and and feel really good about it, and have it be something you're excited about. Than to try to just you know rack up bullet points on your resume because life is too short. And at the end of the day, it's it's not the bullet points that you have on your resume, but it's the skills and the experiences that you have. And so kind of the
0: more depth that you have, uh, I think the better off you'll be. Yeah, I think that's great advice. And in moving into the students that you see coming through, what are some of the attributes that you see in the students that are very successful?
1: Well, the you know the, the best students that I've seen are the ones who are sort of mature. They're self-starters, so they're, they're just driven to do well. Um, and they have good technical skills, so they have kind of a strong math background. Um, students who are curious do really well, so... A lot of times they're, you know, they're the ones that would raise their hand in class and or come and talk to you during office hours or that kind of thing. So, you know, I would encourage students. uh, I can't speak for every professor, but for me, at least, I love it when students raise their hand and I love that kind of engagement. So um, showing that initiative is great. And then, you know, over time through our hopefully through our program and through the students experience, they will gain good communication skills, whether it be speaking and writing, uh, when I was in high school, I was really happy to never take another English class. <laughs> I think <laughs> and, that's
0: pretty common. <laughs>
1: and I think that's common. And I remember my teacher saying, oh, you're going to need this. And I would just a little bit roll my eyes and think like, okay, we'll see. And uh, bo- the boy, were they right. And I'll do a lot of writing in my job. And so um, having that well-rounded education is important, even though I fought it for a long time. And then... You know, ultimately, being able to work with others and work in teams is is also important. But these are these are kind of things that you don't necessarily have to come into college with, but you
0: will develop. Hopefully, if you're in a good program, you'll develop that through your experiences. Yeah, absolutely. And Michael, we're going to go to the lightning round and then ask for a parting piece of guidance. So, what is the best piece of advice you've ever received? Well, I don't know if there's if there's one piece of advice that you know jumps out more than the
1: others I've gotten lots of good advice from people over the years. And I've been influenced by a whole lot of different great role models. But I think, you know, the one thing that there was was one thing that stands out is just the value of hard work and dedication. I mean, there's just no replacing it. So that's one thing I would encourage students uh, that are just getting started to kind of carry
0: with them. And a personal habit that contributes to your success.
1: I guess I would say that I Try to follow the golden rule,
0: you know that is that treat the others the way that
1: you want to be treated and you know don't don't forget that and um, it sort of sounds like common sense, but I you know that uh, time and again is, has treated me well and a
0: favorite internet resource or phone app <laughs> uh, well
1: I don't don't use too many. Um, I use whatsapp, which I really like for keeping up with networks of friends, and occasionally I'll browse. The news in like a and a browser, in like a web browser. And uh, lately, I've been listening to podcasts, and I'll have to add stimulation to this. But uh, <laughs> uh, but I've been using Stitcher for that, and that's that's about it. I try not to use too many apps. Yep. And a favorite book
0: you would recommend?
1: Well, given given the audience here, there was a book I read recently called The Disappearing Spoon, which interestingly enough uh, is in reference to gallium, which is the liquid metal that we study in my lab. Uh, but that's not the reason it was interesting. It's it's a book that gives a history of the periodic table, and it does so in a very interesting way. I mean, it's it's a topic that certainly could be sounds like it could be very dry, but this this is um uh, telling the backstory, the human story about how different elements were discovered, and um, and I think if you're in the STEM field, and especially if you like chemistry, it's it really is a page turner and and just fantastically
0: uh, put together. All right. Thanks for that. And that'll all be up in the show notes. And Michael, as we close down here, could you share a parting piece of guidance for STEM Nation? And then we'll say goodbye.
1: Sure. Well, so for this one, I'm going to tell a little bit of a funny story. So when I was an undergrad, there was a professor who was retiring and they did an exit interview with him. And in his exit interview, they said, well, what did what advice do you have for young people? And he said that he had a student in his class that was not doing so well, and he was not doing very well because he was a baseball player, so he was trying to balance baseball and chemical engineering. And his advice to that student was to give up baseball and instead focus on chemical engineering because that was, was going to be his future. And he said, well, just, just yesterday, uh, Mike Miller signed a $10 million contract with the Los Angeles Dodgers. And so he said "You know that, that's what he has to say about uh, giving young people advice. <laughs> That That sort of has stuck with me and and I think the takeaway from that is if you you know you find your passion um you know follow your gut and follow your instincts, and of course that's not to say don't ignore other people's advice because there is value and and uh people who've had more years under their belt than you, but at the same time um you know take it with a grain of salt and hopefully you can find something that you're
0: passionate about and earn that ten million dollar contract yourself yeah, absolutely I mean advice is good. You take it, you you analyze it, and you determine whether or not you can take pieces of that advice, or just disregard the advice altogether. Right? (laughs) Exactly. Have to make your own decisions. Um, Yeah, I was not offered any sort of ten million dollar baseball contract in my career. (laughs) I'm still waiting for mine too. All right, Michael. And with that, we'll say goodbye. And thanks for being on. Thank you so much. All right. I hope you enjoyed that chat today with Michael. You can head over to stemonfire.com, subscribe to the email list to give up the latest happenings, and be sure to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast player as we approach 20,000 downloads. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and with that, we will say goodbye.